From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. What would you want to know if you found out you had a tumor growing in your spine? Dr. Michael Galgano, an assistant professor of neurosurgery at Upstate, is here to answer questions about the diagnosis and treatment of spinal tumors. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Amber. So how do most people find out that they have a spinal tumor? Are there symptoms? Yeah, I I would say the most common reason uh, that brings people to the doctors is pain in general, and that would also go for spinal tumors as well. So whether you have a tumor in the neck, the thoracic spine, or the low back, or the sacrum, which is by the pelvis, the the most common presenting symptom typically is pain. Um, After pain, I would say the next most common symptom is some type of a neurological problem, whether they're having arm weakness, arm numbness, maybe problems with bowel or bladder incontinence, or issues walking. So those are really kind of the the red flag symptoms that somebody may have if they have a spinal tumor. So I know back pain is common. A lot of people have back pain. So how do you differentiate between a back pain that could be a tumor and a back pain that sure. happened because you strained yourself. Sure, that's a great question. So so the most common reason that somebody would have back pain from a tumor really, differ, the way to differentiate two types of pain um, essentially is that someone with a spinal tumor may have pain at, at rest. Okay, so that's something important to keep in mind. So if you're sleeping and it wakes you up from night and you're having a lot of discomfort in the back or the neck, that may be a red flag because that's not usual for what we call mechanical pain from a strain or something like that. Okay. Uh, Once a patient makes it to your office, how do you go about diagnosing it? I'm sure you ask questions about pain, but what else do you do? So typically, by the time someone makes it to my office, if if they've come to see a neurosurgeon, they've probably already had proper workup and imaging by that time, and they've already had uh, some type of an MRI, CAT scan, x-ray that's going to reveal that they have already had an abnormality within their spine. So by the time they get to me, um, there's already been a diagnosis of a spinal lesion, but then it's up to me to try to figure out exactly what type it is. And how do you do that? So we would get MRI scans. That would really be the hallmark, uh, magnetic resonance imaging. Um, so that looks at the soft tissue, looks at the nerves, looks at the spinal cord. And then we also typically would get a CAT scan that looks at the bones very well to see if there's any uh, abnormalities with the spinal column. Now, if you're able to say, now does lesion and tumor, is that the same thing? It, they're synonymous. Okay. Correct. So, um, but tumors can be cancerous or not cancerous. Yes. Um, and I'm assuming that the cancerous kind are, are worse. But So how do you tell which is which? So the best way really is to get a biopsy. Um, and it's not always practical. So some patients uh, have a tumor that's within the spinal cord tissue itself. And it's not always uh, practical to get a biopsy of that uh, because that would entail actually opening up the outer membrane of the spinal cord. Uh, if there's a tumor that's within the bones of the spinal cord, that's a completely different animal. And then we could have our interventional radiology colleagues sometimes do what's called a CT guided core needle biopsy, and then they could div- give us a tissue sample of that. So before we actually go in to operate on the patient, we know exactly what we're dealing with, whether it's benign, malignant, how fast it's moving, things of that sort. Because that would totally change what you're planning to do, right? It, it, it absolutely does. Absolutely does. If tumor is moving a bit faster, we may want to be a bit more aggressive up front. If it's a very slow-growing, indolent tumor, we may be able to actually just watch it over time. So it sounds to me like, I mean, the area that you work in, it sounds like these are pretty emergent um, issues if someone has a tumor. Sure. Growing, so right? Some of them certainly can be. Um, just the other day, I operated on someone who knew that they had a spinal tumor in their pelvis. Uh, for close to a decade. So some of them are very slow growing and they take a long time to really present symptoms depending on the cavity in which they're growing. 
Uh, then there's other ones who may come in with a very fast growing metastatic tumor, let's say from lung cancer or breast cancer, and they rapidly decompensate as far as the neurological function. Those patients may require a very urgent operation, otherwise their spinal cord function uh, can diminish permanently. So there's different types of tumors. You, you mentioned some grow in, in the spinal cord itself and some grow in the bone, the, ver the vertebrae? Or? Correct, yes. Yeah. So, so there's really two broad categories. There's uh, spinal cord tumors that really grow from the spinal cord tissue itself or around it and within the nerves. And then there's another type that are called spinal column tumors. And those essentially grow within the bones of the spine. And then to differentiate even further, you could have primary tumors that originate from the spinal cord or the bones itself or metastatic that originate from another organ in the body and then eventually will spread to the spinal column or the spinal cord. So uh, do you treat those differently, those that originate in the spine versus those that travel there from somewhere else in the body? Yeah, that, it's a great question. So if there's, a, if there's a, what's called a primary bone tumor, uh, those typically are treated very differently than a metastatic tumor. So if, if it's a metastatic tumor, presumably the cancer, unfortunately, has spread through the bloodstream at that point. And taking the tumor out uh, would really only entail um, cutting into the tumor itself. If it's a primary bone tumor that originates from the spinal column itself, that requires a much bigger operation to actually not get into the tumor so as to not spill the contents of the tumor uh, around to other tissues since that's really the only site uh, of, of the tumor itself. And these uh, tumors, can they can occur anywhere along the spine? Anywhere. So they could basically occur from, uh, from the base of the skull all the way down to the sacrum and the pelvis. And that's essentially what we uh, entail as the, as the spinal column. All right. This is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with neurosurgeon Dr. Michael Galgano from Upstate Medical University about spinal tumors. So let me ask you, what, what is known about the causes of tumors that appear in the spine? Uh, so I would say the most common reason that I see in my practice is uh, metastasis. So unfortunately, lung cancer is very common. Uh, breast cancer is very common. Prostate cancer is very common. Those are really the three most common cancers that I see. So that would uh, absolutely by and large be the number one reason uh, that's the cause of, of spinal cancer, if you will. So it started elsewhere and it spread. Yes, correct. Okay. And, and that's for spinal column tumors. For spinal cord tumors, it's, a it's actually the exact opposite. Uh, so it was very rare that we see a metastasis coming from elsewhere in the body that will migrate and settle within the spinal cord. Most of those are caused from some type of a genetic mutation uh, that may occur as the patient ages. Um, and then typically those arise within the spinal cord tissue itself. But those are much less common than a metastatic bone tumor. Are they related at all to, I mean, the brain is part of the neurologic system, like the spinal cord, right? Are they yes, related? Correct. Brain tumors and spinal tumors? So it, it's pretty uncommon. Uh, there's some patients who have a genetic mutation called neurofibromatosis or schwannomatosis, and they may develop multiple nerve tumors uh, within the brain and spinal cord and elsewhere around the nerves of their body, even uh, cutaneous nerves on the skin. Uh, so that would be the one, uh, probably the most common reason that we would see brain and spinal cord tumors together. Um, but typically, it's pretty rare to see, uh, you know, a related brain and spinal cord tumor. On rare occasion, we'll, we will see a, a, in a pediatric patient a tumor that originates in the brain, and it will actually metastasize via the spinal fluid pathways and then settle uh, within the low parts of the spinal cord. That's called a drop metastasis, uh, but those are uh, exceptionally uncommon. Okay. 
Now, are you able to accurately predict how fast a tumor will grow once it's discovered? Uh, again, typically based on the pathology. So I would say pathology is the number one predictor of uh, prognosis for patients. So once we're able to get a tissue sample, whether it's intraoperatively or via a biopsy prior to us operating, uh, that gives us uh, the best prediction as to how fast a tumor grows and how aggressive that type of a cancer is. Do all tumors need to be removed? No, absolutely not. Uh, so there's many indolent benign tumors that are out there um, that may settle in a compartment of the spine do not, that do not actually compress an important nerve or compress the spinal cord, and they may just sit there and grow very slowly over several years. If that's the case, many of these can just be watched uh, expectantly. Um, there's other types of tumors that are actually very amenable to radiation, uh, chemotherapy, and if we have an accurate biopsy and it is one of those types of pathology such as a lymphoma, those are actually not surgical diseases that would better be treated with radiation and or chemotherapy. Okay, that's good to know. Um, now, what is surgery like to remove a spinal tumor? So again, to differentiate between the two types, they're, they're, they're very different types of operations. So if there's a spinal cord tumor, uh, those are um, very delicate operations because uh, essentially the first step is to identify the proper level that we're at with an x-ray and a special two that we put on one of the bones of the spine. After we do that, we remove a window of bone and then we identify the tumor with an ultrasound. At that point, we have to open up the outer membrane of the spinal cord, and sometimes we actually have to go into the spinal cord tissue itself. So that, that's a very delicate, uh, stressful type of an operation. Um, and that's um, in, in contradistinction to a, a, a bone tumor of the spine, which typically would entail uh, placing multiple pins and rods above and below where the tumor is, because sometimes the tumor can actually destabilize uh, the biomechanical elements of the spine. And if that happens, that becomes a uh, much more uh, gross type of an operation, if you will, where there's a lot more gross movements as opposed to very fine, delicate movements to, to remove the tumor. When you talk about cutting into the spinal cord, um, I just think about paralysis because you hear that if someone has a spinal cord injury that there could be paralysis. Is that one of the risks? A absolutely. It's always a risk. Uh, I would say more so with a spinal cord tumor than with a spinal bone tumor. Uh, so what we do to kind of get around that, if you will, is we do the operation with a modality called neuromonitoring. So we have a special physiology technician that hooks up the patient to multiple electrodes and they can actually give us real-time uh, spinal cord integrity functioning uh, data feedback during the operation if we're getting into a spinal cord tract that maybe we shouldn't. And the way that we, we get around it surgically is to try to map out uh, to get into a tissue plane of the spinal cord that does not harbor a very important tract, let's say to motor or sensory or something of that sort. So we try to stay out of the important areas of the spinal cord and find a corridor that's relatively innocuous to go through. Easier said than done, though. So a very tense, very delicate, very lengthy operation? Uh, absolutely. Some of them could be a, a, as quick as two to three hours, and I've had other ones that are uh, as far as 10 to 12, 14 hours sometimes. Wow. So it all depends on uh, tissue planes, how well the uh, the tumor is adhered to the spinal cord or the bones of the spine itself. If there's a very nice plane, sometimes it's very easy to take the tumor out. If the tumor is very adherent, uh, sometimes that could be a significant challenge. So how do you advise patients beforehand who are kind of deciding whether to go through with the surgery or not? I mean, how do you help them make a decision? So, so sometimes the decision 
uh, if you will, is really made already. I suppose if the patient comes in and they're exceptionally symptomatic and, uh, you know, yesterday they were walking, talking, and they were normal, and today all of a sudden they're rapidly losing bowel and bladder function or lower extremity function, um, there's, there's not much of a discussion that has to take place. It's really, if we don't do the surgery, there's a very good chance that you may become permanently compromised neurologically. And if we do do the operation, there's a very good chance that we could save the neurologic function. So in those cases, um, it's very easy for the patient to make a decision. The, I would say the, the harder decisions are when there's kind of a slow growing tumor that's been there for a long time. And the patient understands if, that if they don't do something, it may continue to grow and cause problems over time. Uh, th that's a tougher conversation to have because it's not really an urgent issue. Um, so at that stage, it's really up to the patient when they want to pull the trigger to have uh, the tumor taken out. How long they want to live with whatever's happening to them because of exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. Um, but all of these surgeries, they're, they're certainly not risk-free. All of them harbor uh, significant risks. Um, and, and, you know, I really try to manage the patient's expectations beforehand that there are times um, that a patient will have to expect to wake up from surgery, potentially with a neurological deficit, uh, so that we could get a better oncological cure of their cancer. All right. Well, what do you say in terms of um, sort of after the surgery and recovery? What is recovery typically like? Uh, so recovery varies greatly on the patient. I would say the number one predictor how a patient does postoperatively is how they come into the hospital preoperatively. So if a patient presents to the ER with paralysis from a, a very aggressive spinal tumor, um, they're going to have a much more lengthy postoperative re rehabilitative course because they've already had a significant deficit that they have to try to regain afterwards. If a patient comes into surgery with very good neurological function uh, and there's no complications, um, I would say that they're going to have a, a very rapid uh, recovery afterwards. Uh, but it does vary greatly based on whether this is a spinal cord tumor, metastatic bone tumor, and uh, you know medical comorbidities obviously come into sure. play as well. So if someone has metastatic cancer, you know they they may have a lot of other medical issues that are they're kind of up against. So it's not just a spinal tumor they're fighting after surgery. It's really their diabetes, or hypertension, their heart disease, things of that sort. So that could really play a significant role in post-op recovery from spinal tumor surgery. And they may be in the hospital for a few days. Or? Yeah, I've had some patients stay in the hospital for two or three days after spinal uh, tumor surgery. I've had others stay in the hospital for several weeks and end up needing rehab uh, potentially for a few months, depending on uh, any deficit that they have neurologically. And then uh, the tumors, depending on the tumor, are, are they likely to grow back? Uh, so the metastatic tumors, uh, there is a higher propensity for those to want to grow, not necessarily in the same location where we took them out, but elsewhere in the spine. Because again, once a tumor has become metastatic, that means that the cancer, unfortunately, has migrated to the bloodstream. So those certainly can grow back over time. Um, primary bone tumors, if we're able to take them out in one piece, uh, there's a very low chance that those will actually come back. And this is also where chemotherapy and radiation come into play. A lot of patients, whether it's a spinal cord tumor or a spinal bone tumor, will end up needing what's called adjuvant therapy afterwards, chemo and radiation. That will actually help to keep uh, the tumor from growing back. Wow. Well, this has been very educational. I appreciate you Thank being you. here. My guest has been Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery, Dr. Michael Galgano. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.